Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Chris Mancini of the Comedy Film Nerds podcast. He's a documentarian and a writer and a comedian. We had a fantastic chat about everything from freedom of speech to the process of creation of a comic book, which is something that he has just done. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Now there's a few plugs, this should be done at about three minutes, so don't worry too much if you want to skip ahead. First of all, Ethos, my uh, most recent uh, hour-long show, is available on my Patreon only for uh, $5 subscribers. So you can just subscribe for a month and then unsubscribe at the end of the month. Put a note in your diary. I don't want to steal your money. Uh, but that's the, I've done it that way uh, because I'm shopping it around to various platforms and uh, they might want exclusivity. So it's just secretly for my secret little Patreon club of people who might want to see it. Uh, and it's up there and it's very nicely filmed at the Museum of Comedy last year. My new show, Mythos, is now here with me in London, in my head, but I will be performing it at uh, various dates. You can follow me on Twitter to find that at, at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, but the most notable one is the 10th of July at the Museum of Comedy, and by notable I mean the one I can remember. So that's that's a show I'm happy. I've run it in uh, in Australia and I'm I think it's going to be a good show, so I'm excited if you want to come along and see it do i have various other previews which i'll be uh, tweeting about email me alicerfraser at gmail.com i love getting them i love talking to you it's always a delight to hear back from people who are listening and speaking of listening ben wren has put this together for me this editing sound editing any we did this via skype which i tend not to like to do um we recorded it with with chris mancini in la and me here in london and that can be a, a process of stitching together things, particularly over Skype, if there are some delays. So thank you so much to Ben Wren, who's done that for me. Uh, he is truly the reason that anything sounds even listenable too. Enough of my blithering. I'm sure I have more things to plug, but I won't do that now. I'll let you get on with listening to the podcast. Um, and I will see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. So, who are you and what are you drinking? Hi, this is Chris Mancini, and I am drinking green tea. Uh, uh, it is um, your standard generic green tea. I can't say that uh, it's the best green tea ever, <laughs> but it is, uh, it is a green tea, and it is tasty. Well, I'm glad that uh, you're drinking green tea. I'm very pro-green tea. I'm also drinking green tea, but I'm drinking it cold because I'm in Australia. It's quite hot. Ordinarily, I will drink hot tea on a hot day, but um, oh my god, I was gonna, I was gonna do iced tea, but I wasn't sure if it was allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is allowed. I'm not, I'm not a tea snob. I'm a tea fan. Um, but uh, yeah, it's there's quite a lot of smoke in the air at the moment, and so I'm finding uh, iced tea. You can get down more of it, and it clears your throat out. Whereas hot tea, mm -hmm. you sort of sip. Um, because there's these bushfires at the moment in uh, New South Wales, there's a, a lot of smog in the air. Um, well, um, you know, I live in Los Angeles, so I am no stranger to <laughs> fires or smog right now. Yeah, I mean, it's quite intense. Are you anywhere near the, the fires? Enough to actually um, smell the smoke, but not in any fire danger area. But, um, you know, uncomfortably close to like, you know, five, ten miles away. That's a little closer like the one, the Getty fire was probably the closest one we've ever had. That's closer than you want to be for, for absolute yes. sure. What have you been re uh, wrestling with recently? Um, there's been a number of things for sure. It's a uh, uh, career transition, which is always interesting. You know, as you probably know, we are shutting down comedy film nerds. I've been doing that for a decade. Whenever you do anything for a decade, it's always bittersweet. Yes. It's, uh, oh, this is this is great, but it's also time to move on. It's like losing a pet. It really is. <laughs> it's, it's very depressing. But also you're like, well, yeah, had a good life. You know, it's uh, we don't expect them to live forever. It's uh, it's time to uh, get a new one and see uh, if we can train that to do any tricks. I mean, that's really interesting. And I don't want to pry too much. But what was the process of, uh, I guess, breaking up or divorcing from that podcast? Because that was such an, a long ongoing concern. It was kind of a also a real community hub for a lot of podcast listeners. 
and absolutely yeah i mean it, it was more like it, it was nothing negative it was really just um you know it's been 10 years we've kind of gone creatively as far as we can go we want to focus and concentrate on other things it's uh it was time to move on it was it was more of a uh, a creative and business decision kind of together so it was it was it was it wasn't something like oh i wish we were still doing it no it was like it's it's time to go on i will miss it but i am also excited about what comes next i mean that's that's fair enough i totally get that but i i think um i'm not sure what i'm trying to say here i think it's hard to build something and let it go but i think it's important i think it, i i i guess i kind of admire you for doing it um because in this industry, everyone feels like you have to hold on so tightly to anything that you might have. It's very that is a hundred percent true, and there's always that um, unknown and that uncertainty, and it's almost like an obsession with artists. Um, I, I'm guilty of this a hundred times over. It's like, well, what if tomorrow's the day it hits? Yeah. What if the what if next week's the day it hits? I, I need to keep doing this forever, and. Uh, and you realize, you know, it's it's very healthy to let things go. Yeah, sunk, you know, cost, re- sunk cost fallacy is what keeps people in casinos until they lose all their money. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting. It's you know, anything from law of diminishing returns to, like you said, sunken cost. You're like, because there's always that. Well, I'm making just enough money. It's just successful enough to kind of keep me kind of hooked in. It's almost like a drug dealer that's giving you half of what you need. So <laughs> it's like, well, you know, someday he's going to have the whole thing, you know, so I can't I can't go to somewhere else. Um, so there's definitely that. But it, there's also something on the other side of it. There's also something liberating and exciting to do something um, different and new and interesting. Like, uh, you know, even if you feel like, oh, I got to kind of start over. And as artists, we always feel that way yeah. when we're doing something new or we're, we're, we're moving on, but it's, it's not really the case. It's, you know, we kind of bring everything we've learned and every, uh, little trial and success to everything that we do. Um, we don't always learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we uh, we certainly try to. Um, the other thing I will say, and this is um, indicative, I think, to us, you know, slightly older artists, is we realize that hey, we might have a limited amount of time left to really do everything that we we want to do, and uh, I think it's time to like transition to really focus on the things that uh, we really want to do. Like you know, my main thing is writing. Like I really want to get into more. Um, writing and I, I love being behind the camera and I love creating worlds just on the paper so I'm finding that you know that's where I want to stick the um, you know stick as much effort as I can in because as we get older too our time gets more limited we have families yeah. and spouses and you know other things that we're doing and also um, I don't know if you noticed this yet but uh, I don't have the energy that I did when I was 24. <laughs> So I'm like, hey, I'm getting sleepy earlier now. Well, it's sort of a vicious triangle. You have uh, mm-hmm. less energy. And I don't think of myself as having much less energy now than I used to have. But I remember on mm-hmm. Thursday nights, I'd go to athletics training after university. Then I would mm-hmm. go um, go buy groceries from my friend Scott. Um, and that was my 21st birthday present to him. I said I'd buy him groceries once a week. And then we would watch The Amazing Race together. And then we would go to a bar on Hunter Street called Funk Trust starting at 10.30 p.m. and then dance till midnight and then leave and go home. And then start it all over again the next and then, day. And then go to university the next day mm-hmm. thinking, well, you know, I was in bed by midnight. It was an early night. Um, mm-hmm. But... If you think about that, if athletics training was like with really like really good athletes and then you go shopping and then you watch television and then you go dancing. That's yeah. too many oh, things. I, I remember in my uh, 20s, I would be going out right at the time that I'm now going to bed. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you have this thing of, of li- less, less energy, uh, more commitments and... Um, therefore less time, but also time passes more quickly. Oh, for sure. It really feels that way. I have a theory on that, actually. What's your theory? The theory theory is, is because when you're younger, let's say you're 10 years old, one year of your life is one-tenth of your entire life. That's a huge amount. That's my theory, too. 
We agree. <laughs> but then when you're, you know, in your 40s or 50, that's one year is like one fiftieth of your life. Oh, that's that's barely, you know, anything. That's, that's uh, so well, it's, it goes quicker because it also feels like it's less of your life. Well, there's also the um, the element of we are as a species incredibly efficient. So this is one of the reasons why, you know, if you do exercise, you have to keep mixing it up um, because what we... What species are you, uh, are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a physical sense, um, mm-hmm. you know, things like food, there's a reason we all get fat and it's because our bodies are very, very good at turning food into resources. Um, mm-hmm. So we're, with our brain as well, we're very efficient. So if there's something that we do every day or that's the same every day, we write it off. We don't notice it. So you know how when you go to a new country and all the street signs are slightly different, you get really tired even if you're not doing that much? And it's because you're noticing all those little things that in everyday life just slide past you. So you're more aware and that makes your brain tired quicker, you think? Yeah, when you're in a different, unfamiliar place. But if you're older and tradition have been doing the same thing for 50 years, then most mm-hmm. of the things you do are the same as things you've done before. So you don't really need to pay attention to them. So you have, first of all, uh, proportionately, it's less of your life. You have more commitments. You have less energy. And also you're not noticing most of the time you have. So time becomes this like desperately precious resource. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense for sure. And uh um you know, it it's <laughs> when you're I remember when I went to it for a physical, my a doctor said, "Well, you know, your 20s, you feel like you're um um invulnerable and uh, you're going to live forever. But when you get older, you start to feel your mortality a little bit more." He was absolutely <laughs> right. It's like, "Wow. Yeah, I have uh, you know, one of my muscles are sore just from working out uh once today because I moved them slightly incorrectly. And uh, that never <laughs> happened before. So So you're going to be focusing uh, on more writing stuff. What does that look like? I definitely am. It's going to be a mixture of things like uh writing more scripts with um other comedians like or for them. It's going to be um more scripted podcasts like I'm on the uh third season of conversations from the abyss but it's i've been doing so many other things that it's uh it's it's taken a bit of a back seat mm. right now and uh the one thing i really want to get into more is more uh comic book writing i'm finding that i'm really really loving uh the format and it's something that i have just kind of gotten into recently over the last couple of years I mean, that's super fantastic. You spoke about the last comic book that you launched uh, last time you were on the podcast with me. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. it was really interesting to hear when I when I put up the podcast to hear people sort of engage with it. Um, people are very into comic books. Yes. And uh, and graphic novels, uh, especially the, the thing that's really interesting about them is, you know, there's still a certain part of um, the culture that's like, oh, well, it's a comic book. It doesn't have any literary value. And it, it's simply not true. There's, it's a different medium and it can have really, really um, amazing plots, depth, and um, it can stir emotions. And there's many different things. And I, I think it, it's going the other way now, which is great that people are becoming a little more aware and a little more educated on them. Like, oh, it's just superheroes. It's not. You know, comic books and graphic novels are a medium. They're not, um, you know, the content. It's like They're when you say a, a comic book movie. Yeah, exactly. They're a medium, not a genre. And um, the, the one thing, if you want to get a comic book writer or artist angry quickly, say, call comic books a genre. <laughs> <laughs> it's like calling comedy a genre even. Or yeah. or music, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's mm-hmm. a format, or it's a there are certain yes. conventions for mm-hmm. the expression of ideas, yeah. but those mm-hmm. are, you know, that's just the, the medium language. is the message. Yeah. yeah, the genre isn't the message. So. Well, it's it's really interesting. Uh, I think part of that, and I'm speaking as somebody who I read a lot of um, graphic novels in my uh, childhood, and then some in my teens, and now I will occasionally read read one if it's good and recommended to me by a friend and that is purely uh, a time issue um i just and a money issue um that (laughs) i can't afford to get into the things in the way that i know that i would so i'll i'll do them in limited bursts 
Um, well, the the other thing that's great about them is they're a gateway to reading. Like, uh, you know, my son was really into graphic novels, but he also reads, you know, quote, regular books as well. Like, it's not like one or the other. Oh, they're reading comics, so they're not going to read real books. It's simply not true. Reading is reading. And comics can help um, someone, especially younger, visualize stories much quicker because you have the panels right in front of you. You can get all the same story progression even though the panels are illustrated in front of you. But it's a great gateway to actually, you know, reading books and novels and everything that's a little more complicated. It's it's a way to get, especially with um, everyone looking down at their devices uh, 24-7 now, it's a, a, a way to get especially kids engaged in reading, in a, it's almost like a gateway drug, which is in, in a positive way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, that's very true. I've been thinking about this. One of the reasons, one of the reasons I think that comic books are underrated. You have the obvious ones, which is that there's a style of drawing um, and art that is involved in them that is um, mainly due to historical printing requirements. Uh, simple, simplified, or it looks simplified. I don't think a lot of people understand that the line work is often like incredibly imbued with meaning um, in the ways that it's drawn and the way that it laid, laid out on the page, all that kind of thing. And the second thing is I think it doesn't, because it's a collaborative project usually between a writer and an artist and probably other people as well, it doesn't lend itself to that like single genius auteur kind of narrative that we love so much it's it's rare but every once in a while um there will be someone who uh maybe like a frank miller who is a writer artist and they're pretty much creating a lot of it on their own and weirdly Um, he's one of the more famous ones yes yeah and uh um, but there's always help there's always an editor there's uh often a colorist a, a letter you know there's you know there's I, it's rare, unless you're indie, 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 that um, uh, someone will write and draw and color and edit and letter, like everything. But you know, so, some people do. It's it's you know, it's a lot of time to get started. The the mainstream um, comics, no, everything's kind of broken up a little bit. But the the thing that I really love about it is coming from an indie film background. I love that collaborative process where you have, you know, the writer, the artist, the letter. Like, uh, you know, the letters are kind of unsung a little bit. Like, you don't think, oh, well, the letter can contribute to how the story is laid out. No, they can. They, you know, where the balloons are placed, everything from the sound effects. There, there's a lot that can happen. And, uh, you know, just in the lettering. Well, I mean, the, so you the, add the font that. would, I mean, font choice and letter sizing and whether it's bold or italic yeah. or where the stresses are placed, mm-hmm. I imagine, are all... Yeah super meaningful we interpret like so many different signals it's interesting that that i i genuinely feel like and i could be completely wrong i genuinely feel like part of the reason that many people underrate um graphic novels is because they are collaborative in that way whereas but movies are also collaborative in that way we just sort of put all the focus on the director and the stars as though they were sort of the essential element the the only people making it yeah (laughs) Yeah, there's, um, uh, it, it's, you know, TV is the same way. It's, uh, you know, people, you know, may fall in love with the character that they see on the TV, but that character that has been created as a collaborative effort between the writer, the director, and the actor to actually create that character. Like, uh, everyone brings something to the mix. And, um, and the uh, editor. Col- My yes, goodness, of course, the, the editor. editor too. I've mm-hmm. just and been the- editing my stand-up special for Amazon Prime, um, and I know that show. Congratulations, I, oh, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I've, I've, I know that show. I've done that show. I've performed that show. And going through it, the thing that made it funny or not was telling them where to put the cuts or listening to them when they told me where to put the cuts. Yeah. Because yeah, the, and uh, sometimes it's things you haven't thought of on your own. Yeah, hugely. And, and then the angle that the camera is coming from and all these things are just amazing to me how much meaning can be imbued in the timing of the cuts. And no, normally sort of previously I've, I've with uh, filmings of my shows, I've just said to the producers and to the editors, you do your thing, you know, I don't know anything about it, you 
and I don't like looking at myself. So, you know, I do the show, you cut the show together, I trust you. You know, I've chosen to work with good people that I trust. But this time, because it's kind of a big deal and it's important, this show particularly is important to me, um, it's a it's savage of the trilogy, the first show that I did. So mm-hmm. it's important to me to get it right and being part of the process, kind of involved in it and having opinions about it and arguing back and forth about it was like... I loved it. It was super interesting. Well, the uh, comedy is a, a very special animal, too, because the timing is key. It's not just the jokes. It's also the timing. It's the pauses. Everything has to be, um, to use the word, curated yeah. properly to get the joke to land uh, the way you want it to. And all of that can be enhanced or ruined in an edit. I mean, if, if the edit can make the pacing off, can make a joke fall flat. I mean, all of those things are really critical, whether it's stand-up, whether it's a film, or even like when in a comic book, like uh, I'm using the panels as uh, storyboards, like a film where, you know, the, the pacing and the pauses are just as important as the actual lines and jokes. And it all can tie back to, um, you know, stand-up. It, it's, it's the same thing. Everything has to be uh, aligned for everything to work. So you are, what's this new project, this new comic book that you're working on? This is called um, Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master. And <laughs> it is a, uh, <laughs> and it is a uh, comedy, action, martial arts kind of movie. Uh, it's kind of like the movies that I grew up on, like the 80s action comedies, everything from like Rumble in the Bronx to Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, I've always been fascinated with martial arts and, of course, comedy and action so I wanted to kind of put it all together and have a really cool, um, funny story about uh, basically a fight club fighter who's down on his luck. He's angry. He's lashing out all the time. And he gets involved in this mystical battle between good and evil that's been fought since the days of ancient China uh, with monsters and dragons and soldiers. And he's completely ill-equipped to deal with any of it. But uh, it's the kind of thing that I wanted to also tap into you know, our modern perceptions on anger and violence, which, you know, hasn't really been seen in, you know, action and comedy at the same time. So I kind of explored that everything from like a little bit of toxic masculinity to, um, you know, how anger and violence, you know, it circles in on itself to destroy you. And what's really interesting is you don't have to go back very far. All of the martial arts disciplines, including, you know, Kung Fu and everything else, you know, they, they have all these philosophies already. They've, they've been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. It's just, I feel like we're at the point where we need to rediscover them. And that's the kind of the journey of the character, like these, these themes and of peaceful coexistence and, you know, how violence destroys have been there forever. But now let's let's kind of re-examine them in a with a contemporary lens and see how they would play out. Well, yeah, it's one of the interesting things you see in modern discourse is people discussing um, discussing things um, with rage, which is probably justified rage in many instances. It is entirely justified rage, um, and objecting to the idea that they should be told to calm down. Because it's so I don't think anyone in I don't think anyone in the history of arguments have ever heard the words calm down and actually calm down. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. And, and and I sort of feel uh, like I feel torn about this. It's a I guess a good thing for this podcast because I don't know on one hand um I think people should be able to listen to the truth however it's delivered. Um, but at the same time, I'm in a job where my whole job is to notice the ways in which how you say something changes what it means and how it is received. So, you know, telling people that to speak in anger and to speak in violence and to, you know, be furious and, and sort of either literally or textually scream in people's faces is not just useless but also... Not, not just a uh, useless is an exaggerated term. Not, I, I feel like it can be useless. It can render you your message uninterpretable. You could say not, ha- 
You, you could say not helpful. Not, yeah, not, well, it doesn't work, you know. Exactly, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't work. It yeah, doesn't people, work, so what's the point of it? Why are you doing it? Expressing your rage is one thing, but I don't think it's a benefit in itself because, as you said, violence and anger sort of spirals in on itself in this way. It's not a useful yeah. sort of pattern to get into. One of the uh, one of the big tenets of Kung Fu is because we have a consultant on the project, Rick Myers, because I, I wanted to make sure I got a lot of this right, um, was that he said the um, greatest Kung Fu is making an enemy into a friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. But then you also realize that that is uh, sort of who am I to tell people how to express their feelings or their justified justified anger or their justified rage it, it can be seen as a silencing tactic to tell people that speaking angrily isn't useful and there are times in which you know protest movements or social disruption or violence have had good political results but I just think on a kind of a day-to-day -day way on a day-to-day -day basis the way that people work is not to respond well <laughs> when... Well, it, fe it feels like there's almost like a difference, like uh, righteous anger and chaotic anger. Well, yes, even, even on... Maybe it doesn't translate, but kind of from unloaded things to loaded things. With unloaded things, no one responds well to being screamed at to wash the dishes. <laughs> no. But maybe then they do wash all. the dishes. Maybe I'm wrong. As I said, I feel really <laughs> torn about it. Uh, maybe but it then they will resent every single dish. So. <laughs> yeah, but if the dishes are your human rights, then maybe <laughs> it's worth... Like, I really don't know where I stand on this. And also I'm aware of my own bias, which is that I was brought up Buddhist, mm -hmm. so I, I really feel desperately uncomfortable with conflict. Um, so maybe I'm not I the person that to for be... Sure advising on this <laughs> well you know all of the um you know every therapy and every um you know philosophy will tell you anger is good if it's channeled positively but that is a very broad term <laughs> you know a broad guideline so um but uh, i think there is some of that for sure like uh you know you know anger just directed for anger's sake never changes anybody's minds and never does anything um useful i feel like, like it's a, a good fuel but it's a dirty fuel and it's an addictive fuel so it can get things done you can be driven by anger to do things but i don't th mm -hmm. i think uh, you should be careful when you use anger as a motivating force or a driving force because right. i don't think it's good long-term fuel and i think it does fuck you up it does damage to you um uh, it turns in on itself it does i don't like feeling angry i know some people really like it they enjoy that feeling it's sort of a hot um feeling i'm I, with you i, I, I don't, get I don't, I don't like it either i like feeling peaceful it makes me feel like genuinely a, a bit sick proper anger like not annoyance or frustration that's kind of a day-to-day -day thing mm -hmm. but real rage will make me feel deeply nauseous for, like, a full afternoon. And maybe that makes me just an absolute pussy, but um, <laughs> I don't like it. It's not, it's I, not I fun for so. me. And I don't, you know. <laughs> so I... Uh, you, f you feel how you feel. I prefer to be driven by interest, which is probably evident by this podcast. Like, I like, I like <laughs> investigating and unpicking things and poking at things and disrupting things out of... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't understand well, I, why I people are say, as interested as stu in stuff. I gotta say, I never know when I do these podcasts with you how they're going to start or where they're going to go, and I'm always entertained and surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great compliment. Um, that's that's really lovely. Um, so, what does your life look like post uh, comedy film nerds and doing this comic book? Do you have to raise money? Do you have to get people on board? Do you have to convince backers in shady dark rooms with big cigars? What's the next move for you? Um, I would say yes to all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's another Kickstarter, so it's another um, brutal slog to get to the funding goal. But the, the cool thing is I'm actually have a publisher along this time. It's uh, SBI Press who published my other book. They're, uh, they're the studio that does uh, Rick and Morty. 
Um, so oh, they're cool. they're backing it, they're behind it, but it's still we have to get to that production goal to actually make it. So it's on Kickstarter right now, Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master. But it's uh, you know it, it's this is the as as creatives, this is the part honestly I just don't like. I, I, we just want to be in a room creating or outperforming. It's the marketing and the raising of funds and you know convincing people to back the project. I don't like that business part of it, but you have to do it. I mean, it's it's part of what we do. I mean, it's super. It's super interesting. So I, uh, I tr- try to sell my, you know, stand-up shows on after I've done them live, um, and I sold mine to the ABC. It's now up as a free podcast. It's just launched, and I feel embarrassed even about plugging the fact that there is a free version of my show for people who might be interested. Like, how, <laughs> <laughs> like there's, uh, it's not even asking for money. It's just asking for people's yeah. time or attention or something. I've, you know, I've already been paid some small amount from the ABC for making it, and now it's just out there. But I that's an easier ask. <laughs> but even so, I feel embarrassed. Yeah. So for you, mm-hmm. what's the, what's the pitch? Is it like, do you say to people, you know, do you want to make this happen? In, like, I don't know what the angle would be. The, the pitch with Kickstarter is a mix of uh, you can just pre-order it, so that'll help get it made. You can get it digitally, or you could get it um, uh, a physical copy. But then there's other tiers that we add that if you want to like have your name in the book, you want a commissioned art um, work from the artist. But then we go all the way to you can be on the last Comedy Film Nerd show on December 12th. We have like two of those spots available. You oh, can get wow. a store. Uh, you could get a tour of Starburns, uh, the studio. Uh, to see, you know, what they're working on and all the cool kind of like uh, Rick and Morty and maquettes and all of the animation stuff that they do. All that's in the lobby. It's it's really cool. Um, and then we even have tiers. I wanted, I wanted to put some tiers in to kind of help other creators. Mm-hmm. So there's actually some tiers. And I talked to everybody involved in the book and they were down with it where uh, we'll do reviews and Skype sessions with um, other people that maybe want to make comics. Like the artist will do a portfolio review and talk to you via Skype. The editor will help you. He's worked for Dark Horse and Marvel and, and, and DC. And uh, he'll help you with a pitch for your comic. And then even the letters said that, you know, they'll help you if you really are interested in lettering comics. They'll, they'll do a session with you too. I mean, that's so, so I amazing. I wanted to put that in. Like building. So, I mean, you are. This is the thing. This is the thing about comedy film nerds. Like, you're a good uh, community builder. That's a skill that you have. I don't know oh, if anyone you, has told you, you that before, but that's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing that you're quite good at because that's a, you know, on one hand, it's a commercial thing. You're offering a service in exchange for money, but the kind mm-hmm. of service you're offering is the kind of service that could totally lead to collaborations and more interesting things being made in the future. Uh, Absolutely. That's what we would want for sure. That's great. Um, So that's I I had an argument with someone about Kickstarter the other day um, because they were saying, well, you're paying for something in advance of you getting the thing. You should just be able to buy the thing. And what if they take ages to deliver it? And I was like, you know how the housing market works? You know how, like, this is literally the way the economy works. People invest money up front and then they receive Mm -hmm. the thing. And, you know, it's a contract. And if, if they renege on the contract, then there's, you know, like, as a, what? Just because it's between individual people rather than large corporations, they couldn't get their head around this idea of, buying something in advance. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what it is. <laughs> and it's also um, supporting creators that you like. It's, um, uh, it, it's everything. And it's also um, getting things that you wouldn't normally get, like uh, you would never be able to get uh, a tour of Starburns or the entire digital library of their books if it wasn't on a Kickstarter tier. They don't offer those, you know, on online or anywhere. Yeah, I, uh, I, well, good on you. I don't have the courage uh, to do a Kickstarter. I think I, uh, yet, maybe I will in the future. I, I always, I would be, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I'm no good every at it. Every time I do one, every time I do one, I say, this is the last time I'm ever doing it. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, a year or two later, I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll do another one. And every time I start with the same uh, proposal. I said, this is going to be a great new beginning. I can't wait to get moving on this or <laughs> this will be the absolute last straw and I'm done. <laughs> I mean, it, that you should write a book about how to apply, for, how to do a Kickstarter campaign because you're quite a pro at it now. You've got a lot of things made. 
This is my fourth Kickstarter, and for whatever reason, it's shaping up to be the hardest one. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I did a, uh, a feature film, Earbuds, the podcasting documentary, the last um, uh, graphic novel long ago and far away, and then we, we kickstarted the first year of the LA Podfest, the podcast festival, and they were all successful. So, um, as we wind down comedy film nerds, I'm really hoping for that, um, you know, everything coming together right at the end where I can get this funded and we'll wrap up the company and then on to new and uh, bigger and better things. That's amazing. I can't um, I can't remember if I've told you this story before because it's my best Kickstarter story. Um, but I had to write an article once about weirdest Kickstarter campaigns for SBS Comedy, who I used to write comedy articles for. And there was one Kickstarter campaign that was for an all-pug version of Hamlet. <laughs> and my f- I would totally back that. Well, this is the thing. My favorite line of the whole um, kind of pitch in the Kickstarter campaign was, all of the characters will be played by pugs. Yes, even Gertrude. (laughs) And I just love the idea that they think that you'd think that even in an all pug version of Hamlet, surely not Gertrude. Yeah, surely that that would not be a pug. That would be a a poodle or something. But did it fund? Uh, no, it didn't in the end, I'm afraid. I don't even yeah. know what they meant by an old pug. Like, the pugs can't speak Shakespeare, but so. they just can run around sneezing their own eyes out. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Were they asking for, like, $300,000? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, such a fun thing, this idea that you can take away the gatekeepers and make make people the gatekeepers, Right. Yes, that's uh, that's definitely the um, the goal and the, um, um, the the great thing about it. The the hard thing about it is just uh, getting you know people to to commit and con- and can you know uh, convert. I guess is the word. But uh, the other thing that you know people don't realize sometimes is that how expensive it is to make things, even on an indie budget. Like you know we're asking for thirty five thousand to make a hundred and sixty page graphic novel mm-hmm. if you don't know how comics are made and how much artists and everyone gets paid it's actually really really low like if you know it was it was published with a um a bigger publisher it would be more than twice that so we're trying to do everything at as cheap as we can but to get also get the um the best possible quality because every artist you know even if they're not getting right these are guys that do a hundred and and 10%, uh, it doesn't matter because they take pride in their work. So they just don't want to go, you know, homeless doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's always so. the question, right? You need to mm-hmm. you need to pay yourself. But I think it's such a nice um, trend to speak sort of more generally about it. I think it's such a mm-hmm. nice trend because I, it's, it's new enough that I have seen it begin, if you know what I mean. Even in my career, mm-hmm. over the length of my career, I've seen this start. And it's gone from people gambling with their work, sort of desperately hoping it'll catch the attention of somebody with enough power to make it happen. That was what it yes. was, to now. Yeah, and it, like, I was talking yeah, to my I mean, dad about my Patreon thing, and he's like, doesn't it feel precarious, all these different people giving you s- small amounts of money? And I was like, no, it's so much less precarious than literally any other job that I've ever had because I, any one You mean person, like an audition, where you would, an audition where you would get zero at the end of it? Yes, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. working in a law firm where any one person in the ladder above me could decide that they didn't like me and if they don't want me, I'm gone. Anyone who supports me can leave. Please don't. Right. But, you know, they can leave and I can still do what I do because there are enough, like the risk is, is spread I, it is such a less precarious thing to ask people if they want your graphic novel and then the people who want your graphic novel buy your graphic novel rather than some person who probably doesn't even read graphic novels but happens to have a million dollars. Right. You know, that, that, and they're like, oh, yeah, we need more pugs and then I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, can your next graphic novel be the all pug Hamlet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm more leaning towards a pug Macbeth. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep, yep. Even Lady McPug. No. So, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's that. I out, mean. out, damn kibble. So. <laughs> <laughs> Will these paws ne'er be clean? Sorry, I went a little too far there. Is that's this a <laughs> is this a dog treat I see before me? Its handle pointing towards. Me. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my God, we're doing Macbeth jokes. This is great. This is this is great and terrible. Um, <laughs> so you're you're in this kind of transitional phase. How does that make you feel? It actually, you know, it's it, it's I, it really is the cliche. It was scary at first, but now I'm excited because uh, I'm going to be moving over to a uh, a new company. We haven't announced it yet. We'll be I'll be announcing it on the last show on December twelfth. So I'll actually be continuing to be doing movie reviews and working with another company. Um, so that'll kind of be like a, a reveal on our December twelfth show. I'll let people know. But I'm I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about. Uh, you know, all these other opportunities that uh, with writing and having a little more time to do these things. And, you know, I want to I just want to do more creating on the page. I mean, you know, a lot of people that are like, oh, God, you just sit and write for hours alone. I could never <laughs> do that. I'm like, yeah, but that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being a writer is such hard work. Um, but if you find it satisfying and if it draws you then why would you not do it if it gives you joy i'll tell you even when you know something i know isn't working when i'm writing and i'm you're in that zone and it's like you know you're two or three hours in it really you get that sense of accomplishment whenever you're doing anything that you feel like this is what i want to do this is what i want to do all of the time no matter how hard it is no matter how um rough the re- the initial result is you always it's almost like a little voice in the back of your head that just goes yeah you, you should keep doing this you know maybe that voice is crazy or wrong but uh hey you, you gotta listen to it I, I i did a quote a while back when i published a book um my parenting book and then because uh, they asked like uh, the publisher it was simon and schuster they asked like for like well what would be your advice to people i said keep trying even if everyone thinks you're crazy and one of you has to be right. And if you're crazy, <laughs> and if you're crazy, then what do you care? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is pretty good. As you're, you're a comedian, though. You do stand up. Yes, I, I've taken a little break from it over the last uh, year, year How? to two, just because... Uh, that was going to be my uh, <laughs> next question. For most comedians, that kind of live um, interaction is, is compulsive, more or less. Yeah. It was it was the kind of thing where I just um, I I've been doing it for so long that I kind of needed the break and I liked being home on evenings mm. and uh, it's the kind of thing that I've also talked to other comedians were like yeah I've taken a break and gone back to it and uh, it's the kind of thing where I haven't said goodbye to it I'm just I I'm on a break with stand up but a I do s- see a myself <laughs> yeah yeah a sabbatical I do see myself going back to it. Um, you know, at, at some point in the future, for sure, because it is something that like kind of gnaws and nags at you. Like you need to get up on stage and talk to people. You really do. And uh, it, what's weird is sometimes like you'll have dreams about it. Like, have you ever had like a dream about being on stage when you haven't been on stage for a while? <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, this is uh, this feels really real. Like my subconscious is telling me to get back on stage. Yeah, well, I, I haven't gigged. I, I have been gigging much more irregularly um, in the last couple of months and just sort of naturally because I have other things that I'm doing uh, with podcasts and audiobooks and scripts and all of that. And it's interesting because I, I have found that I don't miss gigs. I miss solo shows where it's mm-hmm. the thing that you're creating, but I don't... I don't I don't miss a rough pub gig. <laughs> that yeah, that that for sure. It's it's a big difference that if you're at a show where everyone has come out to see you, and it's also something where it's it's your show. You're the um, you're basically creating the entire content. You're not just act two uh, of six, and then everyone will see how they like you. Yeah, I think my ideal situation would be uh, to tour my own show. Um, maybe with a nice support act, uh, but have someone else do the admin. Can I kickstart that? Is that something I could kickstart? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you could. You could. You could kickstart a tour for sure. I mean, there's certainly been weirder things kickstarted. <laughs> well, I just don't have. I I get these messages from people who are like, "Oh, will you come to my city? Will you come to my city?" And I I kind of my answer is like, if someone can figure out how all the at logistics work and I don't have to do any of it and it covers my flight. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so what you need to do is you need to kickstart a budget for um, traveling to these cities, 
and a manager that'll take care of all that for you. So, you know, that, that total cost will be the tour. <laughs> Yeah, well, I uh, someone in the north of England actually has organised a gig next year for me in like their local arts theatre, so it, it's it's worked once well, so far. See see if they'll do the rest of the world for you. <laughs> yeah, can I hire you as as my yeah. <laughs> tour manager? So mm-hmm. I mean, it's so, yeah. Sorry, you go. Oh, I was going to ask you, where have you been touring lately? Like, I know you've been all over the place. Are you mainly kind of UK and Australia or have you been to other countries too? I'm basically based in the UK. I've done a little bit of European, some European-y things. And I did a remote mm-hmm. tour of the US um, via via Skype with the Bugle podcast, uh, which mm. I co-host on regularly. But at the moment, I'm in Australia renewing my visa and then I'll be back in London in December the worst month. And then, yeah, I sort of kind of go back and forth because my dad's here and my twin brother's there uh, with his fat baby. He's he's parenting. Maybe I should send him your parent book. Oh, yes, please do. He's he's got a new uh, YouTube channel called uh, The Man Mum Podcast, which Mm -hmm. is... It's amazing because my brother is very shy and not hugely a performer. He and I, when I started out, we did a double act and he would play the banjo and I would I would do the talking and the singing and we would have a bit of back and forth. And hmm. um, then I, I... I think I smell another Kickstarter here. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. And we did the reviews together, the, the um, sketch reviews at university. And then uh, I got into Cambridge University in England, but we were, we'd, we'd applied for a competition or gone into this competition and gotten through to the grand finals and the prize was $5,000. And I told my brother that he should still do the f- final, the grand final, even though I would be in England. He should do it with my friend, Benita, who's now a theatre director in New York, and they should do our set in the grand finals, and if they won these $5,000, they could both come and fly and visit me in England. And uh, they agreed to do that. And apparently, I mean, my friend Benita is a very, very funny, talented person, and my brother is also immensely talented, although he doesn't particularly like performing. Um, But they died on their asses so hard in the Marrickville <laughs> town hall that my brother said he went to his car and wept and said, I'm never doing comedy again. I don't even care about it. Why am I so annoyed? And uh, ha- hasn't really done any comedy since. But uh, So it's really nice for me to see him kind of putting himself out there a little bit on, on YouTube and talking about the job of being a, a you know, man mum. Yes. <laughs> So it's I'll a lot of work. I'll send him your book. Where is it available online? Uh, Amazon. It's uh, from Simon & Schuster, so anywhere that uh, books are sold, it'll have it. It's Pacify Me, a handbook for the freaked out new dad. That's nice. I like that a lot. <laughs> and where can people find your Kickstarter online, your new project? It is uh, at kickstarter.com, and you just have to type in uh, Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master, or you could just go to comedy. (laughs) Thanks. I wanted it to say um, action, comedy, martial arts, and dragons all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It does that. So it. Yeah, good. Um, so, and also, you could go to comedyfilmnerds.com, and then there you could just click through. There's a there, there's a, a link there as well. But uh, it's it's really fun. It's another one that you know took years to develop, and it's it's near and dear to my heart. And it's it's really funny. It's action packed, and it does have all sorts of fun stuff in it. Everything from Chinese mythology and kung fu philosophy to uh, monsters, and it has actual dragons in it too. Are you worried at all about like? cultural appropriation accusations or anything like that? I'm not because um, we have a... That's one of the reasons I wanted to get a consultant to make sure I didn't get anything wrong. And um, so I'm, I'm running everything through our, uh, our Rick Myers, our Kung Fu consultant, who is Kung very, Fu very consultant is a great yeah, job he title. A, he is. It's pretty cool. I mean, he, he was a consultant on like Kung Fu Panda and like a bunch of uh, um, martial arts movies. And um, if there's anything different or wrong or something that shouldn't be he'll uh, he'll let me know <laughs> i mean i think it sounds like a lot of fun and i i hope you make your kickstarter target 
Thank you. We have until December 10th, so, uh, but I don't wait. You know, that doesn't help my anxiety. If, uh, people, people pledge early and often. That, that's more helpful. Yeah, as a general rule of thumb, people, buy tickets to something as soon as possible because I guarantee you there's someone on the other end of a spreadsheet somewhere just shitting their pants. A hundred percent. Thank you so much for having tea with me, Chris. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Alice. Lovely rifle, doll, lovely rifle, day.